if there's no resurrection, if that is eliminated, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then the life-saving power of the gospel is eliminated. The deity of Christ is eliminated. Salvation from sin is eliminated. And eternal life is eliminated. If Christ didn't rise from the grave, then there is no hope that we will have new resurrected bodies as well. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. Please remember that if you read scripture where it seems to put God in a place of being in a bad light or uncaring or unforgiving or unloving, then you're interpreting it wrong because God is light. And God is love. And God is forgiving. And He loves His children. He loves you so much that He sent His Son to come and die for you. To die on a cross so that you have forgiveness of sin. That we might be in heaven with Him for all eternity. So this book that we read and study so carefully on Sunday mornings is truth and we need to read it carefully and take heed to it. You don't need me up here giving you my opinions and my philosophy on life and my stance on this, but rather God has called me to give you the Word of God and what it has to say and that's what is important. So I am concerned that in the church today increasingly we're seeing more and more of a dumbing down or disregard of the word of god or a challenging of the word of god paul addressing timothy some of the last words that the apostle would write that we have recorded in the new testament second timothy chapter four timothy preach the word be ready in season and out of season convict rebuke exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come not that the time might come But the time is going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. You be watchful in all things. Paul said that the time will come where sound doctrine is not going to be desired anymore. And there's going to be a lot of people with itchy ears and parents, I want to say this, that oftentimes what happens is if, if we come and we bring our families and there's the teaching of the Word of God, it won't always appeal to the flesh. But the thing is, is that it's vitally important for us to be grounded in the Word of God today because there's a lot of deception that's out there. There's a lot of voices that are out there. And what can happen is, is that we can turn to something that's more appealing or entertaining or whatever it might be. And that's between you and the Lord. What you're going to decide for your family, husbands, dads, for your family, how it is that you're going to be strong in the days in which we're living in. And I pray that you would be one that would say that we're going to be grounded and we're going to be grounded in faith in the Lord and what the Word of God has to say for us. Because imposters are going to grow worse and worse, as Paul would write to Timothy. Deceiving and being deceived, but you must continue in the things that you have learned and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The importance of the authority of scripture. 
the importance of knowing the scripture in our hearts and knowing what the Lord has to say for you and for me and understanding the heart and mind of God, the plan of salvation of God, who Jesus is, understanding how he desires for us to live. And so, verse 38, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. So if anyone disregards the word or rejects God's word, is not being smart. Paul's saying, if you reject my teaching, you're rejecting God's teaching, his commandments. And then as we finish the chapter, verse 39, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So again, as we saw last week, that Paul putting an emphasis on the prophecy in a corporate meeting because it brought edification and exhortation comfort to the whole church tongues edifies the individual believer and it is man speaking to god as i mentioned and paul ends with this commandment let things be done decently in order that truly edification takes place that we may learn and be built up in the lord god's not the author of confusion so the corinthian church had failed to do things decently and in order and thus there was confusion there was disorder there was selfishness that was taking place there in the house of god so do things everything all things not just some things decently and in order and that's what we want to do here at calvary chapel when you come in you know that we're going to do things decently and in order that as the gifted teachings going forth, as prophecy, as you understand the mind and heart of God goes forth, that there, it is done in a clear way, in a way that there's decency and that there's order and that, that there's no confusion. And all the exercises of the gifts that are being done here on Sunday morning as we gather or Wednesday night, that when you come in, that there is the lights on, the, the people are ready to greet your children in the children's ministry, it's so wonderful to, to have that. You're not wondering, oh, is Pastor Jeff going to teach the Word today or are we going to do something else? And, and is there going to be children's ministry today? Are we going to start at 8.30 or are we going to start at quarter to, to 9? You know, things like that. So do all things decently and in order so that there isn't confusion. And so, again, as we end this section on the gifts of the Spirit, and they're placed in a corporate meeting. Now we're going to move into chapter 15. And I hope, I really pray, that now that you have good understanding and clear understanding concerning the gifts of the Spirit. But chapter 15, Paul now changes subjects here, and we're going to spend a few minutes in this introduction to chapter 15 as he begins to talk about the resurrection of Jesus in our resurrection. Now again, the church of Corinth was a, a very carnal church. It had to be corrected in, in so many ways. The city of Corinth itself, as we've discussed, was full of all kinds of immorality and wickedness, and Corinth was known for all kinds of, of perversion. Matter of fact, to call somebody a Corinthian was a very derogatory term. It meant that you were calling them a drunkard or a party animal or a very loose person morally. So in the first 11 chapters of this letter, Paul was dealing with this division and carnality that was... that. Uh, was taking place this selfishness and pride that was taking place in the church that was plaguing the church so a lot of correction there in the first 11 chapters chapters 12 through 14 which we just concluded the gifts of the spirit spiritual matters but now in chapter 15 paul's going to focus on the reality of the resurrection because corinth was not only known for its carnality and wickedness but also for its idol worship and false doctrine and beliefs that many embraced in that city and there was much confusion concerning the resurrection of the dead there were some that were in the church that were teaching that there was no resurrection 
for them. And we get that from verse 12. You can kind of look ahead and you read in verse 12 as Paul says to them in chapter 15, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So if there is no resurrection of the dead, then there's a lot of implications that it has for us when it comes to our faith, when it comes to eternal life. In the Greek culture, you need to understand that they embraced the philosophy of no resurrection. They adopted the philosophy of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So live for yourself. Now the Epicureans who adopted this philosophy of no resurrection, it was a very sophisticated philosophy, but the bottom line was this, that it led to many living in a very loose and moral carnal life. And the city of Corinth, even though it was a very beautiful city, it was terribly carnal because many there did not believe in eternal life. And some in the church members in Corinth were saying, hey, there is no resurrection. And just kind of a little side note, that any country, any city, any individual that believes, whether it was in Corinth 2,000 years ago, or whether it's in our own community, in our own nation, any place that no longer believes that there is a heaven and hell, that they will, as an individual, stand before God and give an account to God. Once that is alleviated philosophically, spiritually, then all of a sudden that culture will fall into all kinds of bizarre beliefs and behavior. Once a people, a community, a country, says there is no afterlife, then they will very likely plunge into carnality. Because the mindset is, is this all there is? then why not just do what I want to do? Why not just live for myself? And that's kind of what was, was caught up with many of those in the Greek culture and those that were in Corinth and those coming into the church had that mindset. So he wants to bring clarification here. It's interesting that the city of Corinth, do you know how it was destroyed? It was destroyed by an earthquake. And I'll tell you the truth on this. Anyone who believes that there is no eternity, that you just live for yourself, your whole life is going to be shaken up. And spiritually, your soul is going to be destroyed. Because just as the heart pumps life, giving blood to every part of our bodies, so the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of the gospel truth. The resurrection is the pivotal point on which all Christianity turns. And without the resurrection of Jesus, Paul will say that our faith is empty. In other words, Christianity would just be wishful thinking, taking its place alongside all other human philosophy and religious thought. And because the resurrection is the cornerstone of the gospel, the resurrection has been the target of Satan's greatest attacks. If there's no resurrection, if that is eliminated, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then the life-saving power of the gospel is eliminated. The deity of Christ is eliminated. Salvation from sin is eliminated. And eternal life is eliminated. If Christ didn't rise from the grave, then there is no hope that we will have 
new resurrected bodies as well. So that's what Paul's going to be explaining as we go through this chapter, as we read once again, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again, the third day according to the scriptures. So the first proof that Paul gives of the resurrection is the gospel that was preached and it changed lives in people. They believed and received the gospel, which means good news. And there was definite transformation that took place in the lives of those who would receive the good news. And one thing that is positive that we can take note of about the the Corinthian believers is that they also did stand in the gospel, verse 1. So despite of all their carnality and lack of understanding and strife and division and immorality and weird spirituality, Paul does give a positive note here. He says you stand in the gospel, which was in contrast to the Galatian churches that Paul writes to when he would write in chapter 1. He would say, I marvel how so quickly you move away from the gospel to another, which is not the gospel. So Paul says the gospel, verse 2, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now later in the chapter, Paul is going to tell us that if there is no resurrection from the dead, your faith is in vain. You really have nothing to believe in, nothing to hope for if there's no resurrection from the dead. The gospel that Paul preached, he preached that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And the scriptures that Paul is referring to is what? The Old Testament scriptures, isn't it? Because he's writing this letter, obviously the New Testament had not been written yet or put together yet. So where the Old Testament speaks of Christ, you might think, where does it speak of the death of Jesus Christ? Where does it speak of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, many of you know, for example, Psalm 22. Psalm 22, written by David, a description of Jesus being crucified nearly a thousand years before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. As David would write, that I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a posture and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dusk of death. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. An absolutely incredible, amazing prophecy, speaking of the crucifixion of our Lord, again, a thousand years before he was crucified. You can look at Isaiah chapter 52, starting in verse 12, and going to chapter 53, speaking of the suffering of Christ, going to the cross for you and for me. Isaiah would write, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silence. So all through the Old Testament, we have a message, prophecy spoken, a picture of Jesus going to the cross to die for our sins. Now last Easter, we read from Luke chapter 24. And you remember that as Jesus, after his death and resurrection, he appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus. 
And, and as he was talking to them, they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. I would have loved to have been there to listen to that Bible teaching. It was the religious leaders of Israel that came to Jesus there in the Galilee region. Jesus had been healing all kinds of people of every kind of disease and sickness, and they came and said, show us a sign that we can believe that you're Messiah. They've been doing signs all along. But they wanted some spectacular sign, fire called down from heaven or something. And Jesus said, no sign's going to be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. And just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights. Or Jonah was in three days and three nights in the heart of a large fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, Jesus was saying that the sign is going to be given to you is the sign of Jonah. And he was speaking about his death and burial and resurrection. I'm going to be in the heart of the earth for three days, but I'm going to rise again. That's a sign to this generation and to every generation. We know that in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost that Peter quoted from Psalm 16 and then commented that David, the author of that psalm, looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ and that he, your Holy One, shall not see corruption. You, you won't leave his, his flesh to decay, to suffer decaying. Acts chapter 26, as Paul was standing before King Agrippa, Paul the apostle proclaimed, and having abstained help from God, I am standing this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim both light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So you can go all throughout the Old Testament in Psalms, in Isaiah, in different portions of Scripture, either directly or indirectly, showing how the Old Testament foretold Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. So Paul here in 1 Corinthians 15 makes a point to the reader, the gospel, the good news, is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, the Old Testament. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. One of my favorite portions of scripture in the Old Testament that speaks about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is Genesis chapter 22. You probably know the story. That God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, when you read Genesis chapters 12 through 22, God appeared to Abraham seven times. And each time, God brought Abraham into a deeper level of, of fellowship. Abraham, here I am. Take your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the place that I'm going to show you and offer him as a sacrifice for me. So Abraham would take his son Isaac and his servant. And they would travel three days from Hebron, where Abraham lived, up to the base of the mountain that was called Mount Moriah. And there at that time, Abraham, as he said to his servant, you stay here, me and Isaac, we're going to go up on the mountain, and then we're going to return to you. And as I think about that, what do you think was going through the heart of Abraham in those three days that he was traveling with his son Isaac, knowing that God had told him to offer his son as a sacrifice. And as you look at that story, I think that we can get an indication what it was that was going through the heart and mind of Abraham. 
You see, it's interesting that at that time in Genesis chapter 22, that it was Abraham that put the wood of the sacrifice on his son's back. They would travel up that mountain. Here is Abraham with the, the fire of God's wrath in one hand and the, the knife of God's judgment in the other hand, and they walk up that hill together. And finally, Isaac, he says to his dad, he says, Hey, Dad, you know what? You got the fire. You got the knife. I got the wood of the sacrifice on my back. Um, where's the sacrifice? And it was Abraham that said, the Lord will provide himself as a sacrifice. And as they got to the top of that hill, Mount Moriah, that it was Abraham that would build an altar. He would lay his son down on that altar. It's interesting that most scholars and rabbinical scholars believe that Isaac at that time was not just a little boy, but he was a young man, perhaps in his early 30s. He, he went willingly. He did this freely. And as Abraham lifted up that knife and he was about ready to plunge it into the heart of his son, what do you think was going through his heart and through his mind? I think somewhat he was feeling some of the things that were going through the heart and mind of God the Father, you see, as he watched his only son, whom he loved, with the wood of the sacrifice on his back, 2,000 years later, walk up that exact same hill, Mount Moriah. And this time there was no stopping the sacrifice because in Genesis chapter 22, you know the story how then the angel of the Lord stopped Abraham and said, Abraham, stop, stop. Now I know that you love God and there's a ram in the thicket and you take that ram and you offer that ram as, as a sacrifice. But Abraham was experiencing some of the things that was going on in the heart of God as he watched his only begotten son with the wood of the sacrifice on his back walk up that same exact hill 2,000 years later, Mount Moriah. It was then called Mount Calvary. Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And where did the Lord provide for you and for me on Calvary? He provided forgiveness of sin, and a hope of heaven and right relationship with the Father because Jesus Christ died for you and for me. And so it was Jesus that went up that hill freely and willingly because of his love for you and went to the cross for you so that we can have hope and have eternal life as we are forgiven of our sins. But we also know that that wasn't the only thing that was going through the heart of Abraham as well because we know from the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, that chapter known as the Hall of Faith, that it tells us that Abraham by faith believed that God would, if necessary, rise, raise Isaac from the dead and resurrect him after he was sacrificed because Abraham believed the promise of God. Abraham had confidence in the promise of God that through Isaac shall thy seed be called. And we see that faith in Genesis 22 because he told his servant that me and Isaac are going to go up and we are going to come back to you. He did not say that I will come back to you, but we, me and the lad, will come back to you. And Abraham was willing to obey the Lord if necessary to offer him as a sacrifice, knowing that God would raise him from the dead, even though that concept had never been talked about or discussed in the scriptures. So it was Abraham's faith in the resurrection that caused him to be willing to obey this command of God. Listen, 
The wonderful gospel message is Jesus died for you and for me. Without that, we would be hopeless, hopelessly lost. And he was put into a grave and he rose from the grave. The tomb is empty. And that's why we have reason to celebrate this morning. That's why we have reason to celebrate every day. That's why we can just marvel at the love and the goodness and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has provided for you and me in his death and his burial and his resurrection. It is the very foundation in which we believe. No one else or nothing else died for you and rose from the grave. And those who will come along and say, oh, there's so many paths to God and so many ways to express God. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and died for you because he loves you. And I pray if there's anybody that happens to be here this morning, that you don't know what would happen to you if you were to leave this place and you were to die. Because all of us are going to die. Our lives are going to come to an end on this side of eternity. And if you're not sure, you can know. Because Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That the gospel, the good news is this, that Jesus died for you, for your sins, and he rose from the grave to give us hope, to validate that his death on Calvary's cross took, and he really died for our sins. And that's where our hope is. It's the only hope that we have in coming and surrendering our hearts to Jesus Christ. And I pray that if you've never done that, made that decision, that as the Holy Spirit is now convicting you and drawing you to himself, drawing you to the Lord, that you would open up your heart to him. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.